You're listening to episode number 27 of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. Today's special guest is Dr. Susan Hanrahan from Arkansas State University. Susan is an inspiring leader, and we have a thought-provoking conversation about higher education and what it takes to prepare the future workforce and what's missing. You won't want to miss this. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We're so grateful you've joined us today. I'm Tracy. And I'm Michelle. We've been interprofessional partners in healthcare for over 30 years. During that time, we've been engaged in healthcare transformation and the development of healthy healing work cultures that result in the best places to give and receive care. We've engaged with healthcare leaders from across North America, and we are tired of seeing time, money, and resources wasted on change efforts that are not sustainable. In this podcast, we explore significant, reoccurring, and competing challenges faced by all healthcare leaders today using a brand new lens called polarity thinking, the missing logic in healthcare. You could say we represent the money ball of healthcare. We're here to expand your current thinking and challenge your reliance on problem-solving tactics. everybody. It's Tracy and Michelle. Welcome back. We are so excited to share this podcast episode with you. We just wrapped up a phenomenal interview with Dr. Susan Hanrahan. And uh, I originally had the opportunity to meet her at the Global Forum on Innovation Health Professional Education in Washington, D.C., where we both participated as sponsor organizations. And I just loved her immediately and just the ideas she brought. And then we also, Tracy and I, had the opportunity to facilitate a summit that you'll hear about, um, the 2018 ASAP Summit. And again, just being with her and recognizing she thinks differently and is willing to bring new ideas forward, it's just been awesome. And the interview was fantastic. Oh, yeah. She's very inspiring. You know, I just... uh... I love that she's just willing to put out those thought-provoking thoughts. Yes, yes, <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, you know, she's uh, she's been in academia for a long time, mm-hmm. and she's you know seen a lot of things and experienced a lot of things, and uh, and she just brings a wisdom, I think, and a willingness to challenge the status quo, which I really like. That's right, because right. that's what we're all about. We're tired. <laughs> We're tired of the same old stuff, right? Yes. And uh, so anybody that's willing to throw it out there and say, hey, here's a new way. Here's a new way to think about things. And uh, she certainly has done that. And we had a really great conversation. And, I'm, you know, you leave those just so inspired. So mm-hmm. I'm trusting everybody listening is going to have that same kind of feeling, right? So how about if I tell a little bit more about Absolutely. Dr. Hanrahan? So, Dr. Hanrahan is a professor of physical therapy and the dean of the College of Nursing and Health Professions at Arkansas State University. I have to say, I think that's the first time that I've ever met somebody from a different profession that was the dean of a nursing I can say the same thing, too. I had to look at that twice. (laughs) I know. I think that's amazing. Anyway, I digress. Back to Dr. Hanrahan's bio. (laughs) She holds degrees from the University of Kansas, and the degree she got there was her bachelor's in physical therapy and then a master's in public administration. And then she also got her PhD in health education at Temple University. Uh, She uh, has some interests from a research perspective, mostly in adolescent health, women's health, and health policy. 
And then she is a national leader, a state leader, and a local leader. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about that, right? So she's got this global local leadership thing nailed down here. Susan is a manuscript reviewer for the Journal of Allied Health. She's also held national leadership positions with the Association of Schools of Advancing Health Professions in Washington, D.C., and she is their, uh, currently their past president. And then she's also held a position in the Allied Health Research Institute in St. Louis. So, man, she gets around. She does. Leading nationally. Now, in Arkansas... She serves as past chair of the steering committee for the Regional Board Area Health Education Centers and is a past chair of the Health Policy Board in the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement, Little Rock, and the past chair of the Arkansas Tobacco Settlement Commission and served on the Governor's Roundtable for Healthcare. Lucky Arkansas. I know. I mean, really, <laughs> right? Now, she is also a member of the State Healthcare Workforce Planning Task Force, and she was appointed by Mayor Harold Perrin to the Comprehensive Planning Advisory Commission for the city of Jonesboro. Now, locally in Jonesboro <laughs> community, she has held numerous positions on various boards, and I'm not going to go into all of those, but um, you know, she's and she was really on the founding board of many of those. Yes, yes. So she's really a, a great leader and inspiration, and you're going to love this interview. So with no further ado, here's Susan. Here's Susan. Welcome, Susan. We are so thrilled to have you on our podcast today. Yeah, welcome, Susan. Hello. <laughs> we are so grateful, and we are also very thrilled that we got to see you recently in our hometown of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Well, my hometown. Yes, my pseudo-hometown. <laughs> I'm here enough. <laughs> and uh, it was great. Was this your first visit to Grand Rapids when you came a few weeks ago? It was. Awesome. Great. And we understand that you actually tacked on a day to explore the city. And why don't you share with your listeners your first impression of Grand Rapids and maybe a favorite place or two that you visited? Well, I did not know this before I came, but my absolute favorite was the Frederick Meyer Gardens and Sculpture Park. And, you know, it is a must-see for anybody that goes there. It's absolutely fabulous. But I also stayed downtown across the street from the Bob. So that was really <laughs> fun, too. <laughs> and, you know, I had lunch with you guys at Leo's, and I loved it so much. I went back for dinner that night. So oh, wow. it, it was, I really enjoyed that diner. But there are a lot of lovely restaurants down there. It's a very diverse selection, all good food. But the other cool thing was it's right by the river. So it's there. The city's very walkable. So it, I really enjoyed my extra day for sure. Great. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, Grand Rapids is a growing, transforming town. So it's always a great pleasure when we have people that we know that come to visit and really take in all the advantages of the city. So that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, Susan, we don't think there's anything that are coincidences, Tracy and I. And we don't think it's a coincidence that we now have met and engaged with you twice in two Midwest cities. Yeah. <laughs> the first one being uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota for the inaugural 2018 ASAP, which uh, Association Schools of Allied Health Professions Summit. 
And then um, again, most recently in Grand Rapids, Michigan, at the 2019 MyPERC Conference, which is the Midwest Interprofessional Practice Education and Research Center, where you gave a fabulous keynote that we'll be talking about today. Um, so it's just really awesome that you're from Arkansas, and we've we've met up with you now in two Midwest cities, and mm-hmm. more to come. <laughs> from Arkansas, I'm actually close. I grew up in Kansas, so I'm actually closer to the Midwest uh, that direction than I am in the Mid South. So there wow. we go. Hey. All right, a Midwest connection. <laughs> well, we know that um, you're aware of our work, and that um, your first exposure to polarity thinking. Uh, was at the ASAP Summit, uh, which you attended, and it was fantastic. And we just wanted to ask you, what was it that drove you as the president of ASAP to support a summit on this topic and to be kind of brave to do it in a new way? Well, you know, I think there's a lot of ways that you try to do education around IPE and IPCP. So I think we selected this particular polarity thinking exercise because it it, mo- it, it actually changed the way we approached and looked at IPE and IPCP and the intersection thereof. But, you know, that actual day, the conversation was so rich and so robust. And I'm not sure we could have gotten to all of those comments and specific points by using any other group format. So everybody was engaged. They were active in the work. It was really a great experience. Great. And how did it impact you personally, the experience? Well, you know, again, just to listen to the diverse audience, provide commentary, and there were so many things that they brought into the conversation that I probably wouldn't have heard otherwise, and the way that you set it up and structured it, it it really was kind of a fun exercise. Yep. That's how we like to roll. <laughs> fun. fun. You are fun people. Yeah. <laughs> fun and insightful. Well, we just want to let our listeners know, in case they haven't heard, um, we actually had Dr. Tony Brightback on one of our previous podcast episodes, episode number 15. And as you know, him and um, some other leaders from ASAP really designed that summit. And he gives a great just deep dive into the summit and other insights. So we just want to encourage people to go listen to that podcast episode as well. Oh yeah, and Tony, he's he's a fun guy too. So very fun. Yes, perfect fit for all of you. All right. Yeah, we just kind of gelled. You know, that's how it goes. So, and we've been running into him in a lot of cities too. So <laughs> meant to be. Now, you know, Michelle mentioned you were the president of ASAP, and we know that the name of that organization recently changed, and it's now the Association of Schools Advancing Health Professions. And as the president, I think it might just be, you know, interesting for our audience to kind of get an understanding of what what was behind that change and moving from, you know, allied health professionals to advancing health professionals. Well, if you kind of know the history. Allied Health is how we started with the feds. So uh, even though they still use the term Allied Health in legislative language, health colleges today really have a diverse array of programs, many of which are outside the traditional world of Allied Health, so including things like nursing and pharmacy. But, you know, the association has also added industry partners as members, so our scope is much broader. Um, And changing one word, allied, to advancing made us seem much more progressive and dynamic and actually very 21st century. 
Now, the other thing that we're doing in January is starting a new strategic planning process for our association. So the name change will really actually jumpstart us and serve us well, I think, in that capacity. So we're very excited. Oh, Almost yeah. unanimous approval. So that was great by our membership. Yeah, and that's, you know, yeah. it is, it, that is very yeah. progressive. And I, th- I applaud you yes. for, you know, it's kind of a polarity around innovation and tradition, right? <laughs> Knowing mm-hmm. when it's time to change, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, having the courage, because sometimes when you get known as something, right, that's mm-hmm. a difficult transition. So kudos yep. to you and the organization for moving forward and really calling out what you're going to be about as you move forward into the future. Mm-hmm. We're still Important. ASAP, so that helps. I mean, yeah. we're still yeah. the same acronym, and I think yeah. that have, was beneficial. So, but the words themselves make a significant difference. Sure, sure. Well, they're going to be guiding you, right, in your strategic That's right. plan. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> words are very important. <laughs> Well, we were so inspired, Susan, mm-hmm. by your presentation, your keynote address at the MyPerk conference. And you talked about some really significant things when it comes to education and practice. And and so we wanted to just kind of have you share with our listeners some of the pearls of wisdom that you shared with the audience that day. And so I thought it would be good to start out. Maybe you could share some of the important assumptions that you became aware of as you were preparing that presentation about reimbursement practice and workforce needs and just kind of give our listeners some insights into those assumptions. Yeah, these are, are, aren't really assumptions that I came across. These are things that I have believed for a very long time in my time and practice in academia. So <clears throat> there are actually two basic tenets that resonate with me. And one is that reimbursement, and that's primarily third-party reimbursement, drives practice, which guides workforce needs. And so everything about new payment models and you know, integration of care, cost savings, skill sets versus number of providers, that's all in there. But then the second tenet is really important for educators is that practice should drive education. So my conversation that day uh, at the the conference really revolved around exploring the market drivers and their reactions in the practice environment, parlaying that with what we've seen in health professions education lately and then figuring out what's still missing to make us practice ready. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, that was a great foundation, yeah. right? To kind yeah. of get us all clear on the assumptions and the, the driving factors that are impacting all of us in education and practice. And from there, we really appreciated the way that you cited the landmark reports that we all have read, most likely. Um, the proceedings from the National Academy of Medicine, previously known as the Institute of Medicine, and as well as the Global Forum on Innovation in Health Professional Education. And one of the things that I, we thought you did so well is really uh, bring out the integrated themes that these reports over the years have brought forward to us and with the intention to guide us on those changes that need to occur in education and practice. So share with our listeners a little bit about the integrated themes that you talked about. Uh, Sure. Uh, Certainly, health education has been responsive to some degree to the marketplace, but not necessarily in real time. But we ultimately get there. And uh, we've seen content emerge in our curriculums, some with the help of accreditors, uh, some maybe because of necessity, like regional practice patterns, 
and some because we read a report like the ones you mentioned, um, because these, these are vital kinds of things that we need to be thinking about. So the things that I pulled out and just mentioned um, in my presentation included things that are really pretty pertinent right now. We've seen them around for a while, like patient-centered care, like cultural diversity, cultural competence or is a big area, team-based care, certainly IPE and IPCP, uh, quality of care, how to assess and approve, improve that, uh, a variety of clinical education models, health and well-being, lifelong learning, uh, interpersonal or soft skills. We know the marketplace is very concerned about that because they get graded on that and paid as a result of that. And then health literacy, and that's certainly important around patient compliance. You also mentioned some newer themes, right? What are yeah. some of those? Yeah, well, these are kind of big ones, and I think that they really get at what our practice environments are dealing with today and the things that we really should be more cognizant of. And, and there are things like uh, systems of care, um, health economics, patient safety is a big one, complex ethical scenarios, and uh, we all know population health, social determinants of health, and mental health. But there, there are more, but you get the idea. And certainly these were not predominant things in traditional health professions programs, but to tell you the truth, some programs still don't have these things integrated today. And that, therein lies some of the problem and the gap that we're seeing, I think, between education and practice. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I think that we could say we've noticed that as well, right? Yes. So you also made an intentional point of highlighting kind of the overrepresentation of academia or education uh, leaders uh, being at the table to kind of the neglect of practice or service representation when it comes to some of these reports and the events leading up to those reports being written. And, um, you know, that I think we can say we've noticed that as well. And, you know, probably because we come from the practice uh, field, right? More that's been our background. So we're always aware when it's not there. <laughs> but anyway, if you could share kind of just your observations, mm-hmm. um, you know, about this and maybe like, what are some of the implications, you know, our current reality and future realities maybe? Yeah, I'll just, as an example, um, I've been part of some of the National Academy of Medicine proceedings and uh, I love them. I learn a lot. It's a diverse, it's a well-educated group. But as you've mentioned, the group is usually heavily weighted with educational institutions and professional associations. Sometimes we have accreditors. Uh, sometimes we have federal agencies. HRSA has been to some that I've been at. Some international flavor is there, too. Uh, diversity groups, Hispanic Medical Association sometimes. Uh, foundations are sometimes represented, like Robert Wood Johnson or Macy. Um, but then there are really only a couple of practice sites, maybe like the VA is usually there, Kaiser Permanente might be another one. So my point was that uh, the participants influence the proceedings, and that is the weight of the content that you read in these books. However, it would be great to better balance the constituent groups, certainly less of some, more of others like practice sites. But, you know, the other side of the coin is I'm sure it's difficult to get key people away from running their hospital or their healthcare organizations, but we really need it because accreditors, academicians in particular, need to listen to what our practice environments are like now and will become because they're changing at an absolutely stunning rate. Yeah, I think that's so significant. And, you know, when it comes to polarities, 
as well, we're always saying, right, you need to listen to the smaller voice. And if the voice isn't represented, you're missing a big part of the picture and the realities that need to be considered going forward, right? And I think that's our biggest concern. Um, And, you know, I think while having the VA there is wonderful, but they're a lot farther down the road, I would venture to say, than most when it comes to interprofessional practice. Kaiser Permanente as well. Big, huge system has done a lot of work, but there are a lot of organizations that haven't even begun the journey and their voices and their concerns are right. The things that we need to consider to your point are not represented in uh, as a reality. Well, you asked about implications and I think that that contributes to the gap, the gap almost is getting wider because things are happening faster now than ever before. So that therein lies a big problem. That's right. And you need to have that balance. You know, it's, it's just critical because they are interdependent and it's not a mindset of one's driving the other because then we know we'll ultimately won't be successful. So having the stakeholders show up at those events and even at a local level is really, really critical. Agreed. Well, I think too, helping them to know how important their voice is, right? So that maybe there is some incentive to get to the table, that they they can change the trajectory of the conversation just by being at the table and participating in these really significant conversations. Mm-hmm. Well, Susan, being from the practice um, side of things, I think one of my big ahas from your presentation was when you really talked about um, the progress or the lack of progress on general ed requirements and how that has been traditional for so long. And I remember sitting in the audience just saying, I wasn't even really aware of this. I haven't really been paying attention to this. So can you tell us a little bit about the traditional gen ed requirements and uh, really, how we need to start looking at that differently for the 21st century? I'd, I'd love for you to share that with our listeners. <laughs> Absolutely. And I hope it makes a difference, too, after I share it, because in some institutions, it's really not happening like my own. But <laughs> uh, let me just talk about traditional. When I was an undergraduate student almost 50 years ago, you know, I took required general education courses like freshman comp one, freshman comp two, college algebra. You take a life science like biology, uh, physical science like chemistry, social sciences like psychology and sociology, and a couple of fine arts and humanities classes, too. That was your general education foundation. Well, interestingly, we have that exact same general education framework at my university, Arkansas State University, a mere 50 years later. But the other thing to note is that most of the students coming to college these days get these courses in high school as part of concurrent credit. So we have students coming to school with 15 to 30 student semester credit hours already that contribute to general education. So general education actually for any degree program at the university needs to be more in line with 21st century. It absolutely has to change. So I talked about to what? Well, I use an example uh, from Marietta College that had courses and, and pay attention to the titles of the courses because they're different than the ones that I just rattled off for general education, traditionally. Writing proficiency, historical perspectives, scientific inquiry, quantitative reasoning, leadership and ethics, literary analysis, diversity and global perspectives. 
great titles, right? But if you read the course descriptions, they're even more rich and on target for preparing students for the challenges ahead. You know, I would absolutely love to have students come to our health professions programs with this type of foundation and framework. Oh, definitely. I totally agree. I would go back to school. I know. <laughs> I was thinking, I need to go yeah. back and enroll in some gen education, right? Like I'm in my PhD program yeah. and I had all those same, right, general education prerequisites I did years ago. And uh, I would really yeah. benefit from just these that you mentioned, this newer way, right, for the yeah. 21st century. Well, and having uh, in the not-so-recent past children graduate from college, when I look at you know what you presented and listening to you again today, I'm like, that's what I would hope they would get. They'd walk away with those with those skills. Yeah, that knowledge, that knowledge right? right? Yeah. Then you also added some new skills because... Things are exponentially changing in the world. And so you also brought up some critical critical skills that are going to be important for the future. And why don't you share what those are? Okay, so I used a Robot Proof, the book, which was written by Joseph Ayun, And he talks about higher education in the age of artificial intelligence. And if you read it, you understand that many of the things we used to do as humans are being done by machines now. Things like interpreting medical images, analyzing data, diagnosing disease, conversing in English. And he says, you know, we really need to understand machines because that's going to be our life. But we also need skills that at the very moment uh, make us different so and special. So things like um, the ability to synthesize information, to imagine, to reason, to inquire, to provide comfort, care, discover. These are all things that computers can't do at the moment. So these are the things that we should really be working on to lay a foundation in our educational curriculum. So he used three uh, literacies that we absolutely need for our educational framework. Uh, for the real world. And the first one was data, data literacy, certainly understanding data, utilizing data, uh, finding meaning in data, the context to which we can make appropriate correlations with that data. Does that sound like what you had in college algebra? No, not. (laughs) I try to forget college algebra, to be honest with you. (laughs) And I think most students have. That, therein lies another problem. But that was the first literacy, data literacy. The second is technological literacy. Coding. And, you know, we have, do we have some high schools that are incorporating coding in their curriculums and the students are coming to college with that as a skill. But coding, how do machines work? Even basic engineering principles. So those are the technological literacies that he's describing. And then the third one is human. Again, we got to advance our human skills, and around areas like brainstorming, negotiating, collaborating, making collaborative decisions, getting back to this teaming, diversity of perspectives. So these three literacies, of course, would make a great foundation for developing a general education framework, and it certainly mirrors what Marietta College is doing with their 21st century um, educational base. Yes. Yeah. And I, I was just thinking, I'm kind of patting myself on the back here, you just have to know, because... My grand, you know, I, I'm always looking for new and interesting things for my grandchildren, right? I don't like to just get them the same old kind of stuff all the time, toys or gifts. So I actually got my grandson this app where he could actually code his own computer program. 
right? Cool. Create. It was like to create a game, but he was learning how to code, right? So mm-hmm. I was like, hey, I did a good thing. You did. You're <laughs> I'm <is>. progressive. <laughs> Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we've done a lot of work with informatics competencies and informatics and healthcare. And really one of the crux polarities is high tech, high touch. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not moving from high tech to high touch. We have to do both. And that just really you're you're sharing what you just did, Susan, validates what we've been saying for over twenty years. It's how yep. we interface with the yes. technology and leverage it versus it driving us, right? But, you know, interestingly, in physical therapy, we had that we had that saying a long time ago because in therapy there is a lot of technology and there's a lot of touching. So, but today it means a completely different thing. So, <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. Well, you know. Um, one of the other things that you talked about as well uh, in your in your talk was right the need to focus on four higher order order mental skills and you know kind of those cognitive capacities that we need to really uh, establish and build and strengthen um, and especially um, those that would be valuable um, to be practice ready. Um, so can you share a little bit about that? Sure. So again, I'm going to use the robot proof book as a framework, um, which actually correlates um, the things that I'm going to talk about with many of the drivers in our practice world. So you'll understand as I uh, go through the list. But the first one is systems thinking. And um, of course, that's making connections between different functions in an integrative way. We're also used to being in domain-specific thinking, we need to break out of that and be a much get a much broader perspective and purview of things. So system thinking is the first one. Entrepreneurship is the second one. You have to, if you see a problem, you got to be able to fix it, and that can be around economic drivers like invention, reinvention. It can be around social entrepreneurship, when you look at things like inequities or advancing social justice. So entrepreneurship, again, as you compare it to machines, you know, this is this is a higher order cognitive skill that we absolutely need. The third one is cultural agility. Makes sense. We have a global environment. We've got to see things through cultural lenses. So traveling, study abroad, all of that is is, is helpful in that regard. And the fourth one is critical thinking. Now, of course, we've been doing critical thinking for a long time, but I think he means really this critical thinking is really deep listening, very complex reasoning. You know, be very disciplined and with rational analysis and judgment. So, you know, again, those are the four things that um, he mentions that absolutely are going to be important. And again, they are higher order mental skills for kind of cognitive capacities that will really advance our opportunity to be practice ready. Well, and then of course we'd add a fifth. So we'll have to maybe have them on our podcast. (laughs) Because right. Polarity thinking. thinking, Yeah. 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 Yeah, Right. So to your point, well, you have to be able to differentiate when you have a problem and a polarity, right? So you may have an entrepreneurial spirit and approach to solving problems. And that's awesome because when you have problems, they do need to be solved. And there are plenty of problems to be solved. But oftentimes associated with those or in you know a comparison to that, there are the polarities that we have to manage. As well. So we need mm-hmm. to be able to use that kind of thinking as well 
And as things become more complex, mm-hmm. right, um, the critical thinking skills, the polarity thinking skills, right, problem solving skills, all these kinds of systems thinking, we have to be able to embrace these if we want to move forward in such a complex world. It is higher order. It is. It's it way different than what we're doing now, but we got to take that leap. We've got to take that extra step to get to that level. Yeah. Because right now I think we're operating and teaching at way too low a level for the, yeah. for the real world. That's yeah. for sure. We That's agree. for sure. Things are not anywhere near what they were and we're not going backwards, right? We're only going forward. So it's only going to continue. Yeah. It's to our detriment if we don't start Moving along here, folks. That's right. That's what I loved about your your talk and what yeah. you're sharing with our listeners today. It is, we've got to think about the future mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, what do we need to do to move forward? And, you know, even in preparing the future workforce, but also those of us that are in it, <laughs> right? We need yeah. these higher level skills as well and cognitive thinking and ways of approaching this complex environment that we're in. Um, so... Susan, as we close, like, so what does that mean <laughs> in regards to how we teach and what we need to teach and how to do that differently? And what, what are the implications around that? So, yeah, he in his book, he mentions three different things. If you read the book, it's really, it, there's a lot in the book that we already do as health professions educators, but... Um, That's good. (laughs) But he doesn't use a lot of the examples. And again, as I talked about in my presentation, I think we can do a better job. I think we can move to that next level if we incorporate some of this conversation that we're having today. But the things that he talked about were um, thematic study across disciplines. Now, certainly a strong general education core would be helpful here because (laughs) to better understand implications and perspectives of a situation or an activity or an event because often you bring in things like history and philosophy and culture and religion and social consequences, uh, logistics, economics, you know, those kinds of things. Um, But you know, we don't have those 21st century general education courses like I talked about, historical perspectives. Wow, that would really help. Social analysis. Yes, there was another one. Diversity and global perspectives. All of those would work well here. His second thing was project-based learning. And, you know, we do a lot of that now. And But again, if we can incorporate those cognitive competencies into this, we'll really move us to a higher level. So that provides real engagement. We have interprofessional groups. That's a, that's a sophisticated piece. So problem-based learning was number two. And then number three was real-world connections. And again, I think we do this great in health professions, not so much in the other colleges, but we get them out of the classroom into the real world, that makes a difference. So in teaching, we need to really be explicit, I think, about our learning. Um, We need to have goals around each cognitive capacity. Uh, And the most difficult part of the teaching today, though, is the nurturement of metacognition. Because helping students think about thinking is really tough, and helping students to understand the way they learn is even tougher. Because Students come to us focused on grades as a goal and not necessarily on learning. So that kind of complicates this whole higher order learning perspective that we're putting forward. But again, I think if you start with a different educational base, add these new you know, cognitive competencies for the real world, teach at a little higher level, I really do think we can get there. And I think health professions is in a really good place to do that. 
And and something that just occurred to me, um, how prepared are our faculty to do this? Well, that was my closing question. And that would be another (laughs) whole conversation to have. Uh, Absolutely. Um, You know, I think around technological kinds of things, I think in the in the teaching environment, we're really getting pretty skilled, you know, with technology, with all the applications that we have to use. You know, I think we're doing great there. And I think this added interprofessional education piece that we've been doing a lot lately has really gotten them out of their office around other people, but still we're in the artificial environment. We're still in the university. So it's just a matter that we got to take that next step and get them out in the real world, bring them back, and then we can make more applications and integration that way. Well, I imagine, you know, faculty had to be prepared to teach interprofessionally, right? That that we had to be very intentional Mm -hmm. about preparing the faculty to step into that space to share teaching with maybe somebody from another discipline to teach students that weren't necessarily, you know, uh, within the domain of their, uh, their own professional uh, expertise, right. right. And teaching expertise. So, you know, I could see where you could put together a, uh, you know, kind of a faculty development piece for some of those areas that maybe weren't as strong. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes too, the other side of the coin is, you know, sometimes programs are all about what accreditation requires and not about, including these other dimensions that really are more real world. And again, that's why I alluded to the fact that accreditors really need to pay more attention to listening to the practice environment as they're developing their new criteria. Yeah, that makes total sense. It really does. And um, I just, I really think that, um, you know, you mentioned how important that real world connection is for faculty and students to go out into the real world. But I think there's ways we can bring the real world in too. So we have to think differently about that. And um, and that I think connects to the whole entrepreneurial spirit and what's really happening in the real world and lots of opportunities to do things differently. Well, and and partnerships, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's another thing that is growing and expanding in the way we look at how we work together across industries, professions, right? It's all evolving because, you know, I think um, experiences, some of our most significant experiences are generalizable, right? Like when we can we learn from each other and apply things across industries as we're learning a lot, right? From yeah. the airline industry and other industries. So yeah. especially when it comes to technology and <laughs> some of those things. Yeah. Well, and they had to learn too, but again, they can operate at a little different pace than edu- higher education, for example. So, yeah. 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 So true. So true. Yeah. Well, in closing, Susan, I just want to tell you, you inspire me and I'll tell you why. You just bring a really fresh real world perspective <laughs> that not being in academia, it's just so enlightening for me and refreshing for me to hear a different perspective than what you typically hear. And um, it just helps me understand that high, the challenges in higher education. And then it makes me wonder, what can we do to help with that? So I just really want to thank you for being inspirational and, and um, being a new colleague, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, thank you guys for, for you know, sharing the wealth. I mean, getting information out about new and different perspectives and how people can think differently and new ideas. And so these podcasts are really great opportunities for that. Thanks. Yeah. And I, I think it is, um, I think it's just fresh, right? And it's progressive. 
And it's forward thinking. This is what I've appreciated so much about your message. And I think the other thing I appreciate is it's courageous. I think it takes a lot to stand up and say, hey, folks, you know, we need to move in a different direction. And here's my perspective about this. Here's what I've observed. Here's what I'm learning and what I'm reading. And here's where we need to go. So let's, you know, let I'm calling the question, how do we get there? Right. And I think that's one of the reasons why we invited you on here is because, you know, we're being a bit courageous ourselves. <laughs> we, we like to hang out with those people. <laughs> but it is, it's time for new voices. It's time for new thinking and it's mm-hmm. time for action. Yes. So anything we can do to support this, we will certainly do. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate that a lot. Oh, you're welcome. Do you have any parting thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, no, I, you know, I just hope the conversation today has been a little thought provoking, like you implied that it was for you because it's meant to be thought provoking. But the other thing is we all need to be leaders. You've already alluded to that. Uh, be facilitators. We, um, we need to be educated about our future and how we will help future generations navigate and excel in these new environments. And, you know, we're already in the 21st century. That's the problem. And we're already behind. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, I mean, we have a heck of a lot of work to do. So, yeah, keep talking, keep sharing the message and keep your positive energy going forward. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Susan. Yeah, it's just been such a pleasure to have you with us today. And I know our listeners will be enlightened and inspired. And uh, and like I said, we'll do whatever we can to keep this movement going, right? All right. Thanks, guys. Good to chat with you yeah. again. You too. Yeah, you too. Thanks. So we look forward to chatting with you again in the future. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye. tuning in today. If you found our conversation insightful or helpful, please share this episode with others you think might benefit. Also, go out to iTunes and rate the show and share a review because we really like those positive ones. Wink, wink. You can access today's show notes and downloads at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you want to learn more about polarities in healthcare or how you might manage them in your organization, you can contact us for a free consultation. Just go to our website at www.missinglogic.com.